But I want us to recover, at least amongst ourselves, that the minister in ministry itself is the most profound and powerful form of human action in the world. Its power is in his backwardness. Its power is in, like, like, uh, like the Corinthians letters, it's in its kind of foolishness. But it is the most powerful form of human action because it's the only form of action that participates in death for the sake of life, that can really be present in a reality of true death where life breaks free from it. And political action can't necessarily do that. And, and uh, the action of celebrity and the athlete can't do that. The lawyer can't do that. But the minister does. Welcome, my friend. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Weekend edition number 22. It is my friend. Welcome. Welcome. So good to have you here. We've got a great episode this weekend, a little bit shorter, shorter than normal, but really good. Andrew Root is our guest. He wrote a book called Churches and the Crisis of Decline. He wrote several other books too, a book like Faith, uh, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, The Pastor in a Secular Age, and The Congregation in a Secular Age. Part of his uh, Ministry in a Secular Age series. This is with Baker Academic, so no fluff, all stuff in this book. The subtitle of his most recent book says, A Hopeful, Practical Ecclesiology for a Secular Age. Now, I had him also on the 200 Churches podcast. If you wanted to listen to that, it is episode 396, and we talk uh, a lot in that episode a lot more than this particular episode, but in this one we talk about different things. And I ask him about pastors and what it is from his perspective, since he wrote about this churches in uh, churches and the crisis of decline, what is the crisis? What, what are we declining in and what is our greatest need? And so I ask him, whether pastors know it or not, what is the greatest need of pastors in the current culture? And I loved his answer. And then we talked a little bit about social media, and we just unpacked, we unpacked some of that. And we talked as pastors. Uh, he is also, of course, speaking as an academic. He is a professor, and he is also an author. So he writes, he teaches, he researches. He's somewhat of a scholar. He has his PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary, and he is a professor of youth and family ministry at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Here's my conversation with Andrew Root. Andy Root, welcome to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. I'm excited to have you on. I've got some questions for you. Why don't you introduce yourself and let our listeners know who you are and what you do. Yeah, I teach seminary students um, at Luther Seminary in the Twin Cities uh, here in St. Paul, Minneapolis. And I've been at Luther for 17 years. The chair that I'm in actually focuses on youth and family ministry, which I do still focus on quite a bit, but have been writing and uh, really from the beginning, but in the last few years, writing a lot on just pastoral ministry more broadly and uh, practical theology and, and things like that. Have you ever been a pastor uh, on staff at any level in a local church? I have. It's uh, it's starting to become a while, um, you know, as as uh, as I've been in the academic world. But I, I was, yeah. And it, you know, it used to feel so fresh, uh, my pastoral experience, and now it's like, you know, 
17, 18 years ago now. Yeah. So, um, but I, I have been, yeah, I did a lot of youth work, but uh, also some other pastoral tasks. It's exciting what you do, you know, stepping into the classroom on a regular basis and you're not just in an office somewhere or in a cabin somewhere typing, but you're actually interacting with people who are thinking about this stuff, albeit some of them theoretically, right? Not necessarily, but at your level though, at your level, you're, you're talking with a lot of, you're teaching a lot of practitioners, aren't you? Yeah, people are going right out into ministry, and and that's really our focus is to think about people who are going to, for the most part, this isn't true of all our students, but most of our students are going to be congregational pastors, and so you know, really preparing them for life in a congregation is, is really important. Okay, so this is coaching for pastors. Let me ask you: you're writing these books, and these books are not—they're not fluffernutter books. These are these are theological works, and these are serious books. How do you find the time to do that? Are you married? Or do you have kids? Yeah, so I, I actually uh, I'm married. I've been married almost uh, almost 23 years in in September. Okay. So for a while, I've I, uh, my wife's a pastor. She's been a, a solo pastor of a small congregation for the last 15 years here in South Minneapolis. Um, and then I have two kids. I have a um, a senior who will uh, will start school in a week and be a senior, and then I have a sophomore. Um, so my son and my daughter, my, the oldest is, is my son. So I'm really clear. I don't know anything right now. I'm for sure the stupidest person <laughs> in my, according to my kids in, in my house. So, so it's nice for I'm you to sure. say, say good things about my books, but they, they would tell you that there's uh that I'm, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. So that is so funny. Is that's so classic too. So I've got four and yeah, I, I get it. I understand that as they get older though, you do get a little smarter. <laughs> My kids are, they're 24 to 34. Yeah. And I, I don't look too bad these days, especially when Papa comes to play with their kids too. Yeah. That's kind of nice. But how do you find the time? How do you focus on your books and how do you split that with your academic work? Some, some will say in the academic world, sometimes you've got a little bit more time, a little bit more freedom for those things. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I think that is true, especially living with a pastor. Um, you know, I, I don't have to deal with a funeral coming up and, you know, a writing schedule just has to be upended. For the most part, I can I can stick with my writing schedule. But for me, there is a kind of monastic sense to this, you know, that, that writing is not easy. It's a fairly, I think, even the best of writers, which I would not include myself in that, but even the best of writers, I think it's a kind of hellish practice. You know, it's, uh, mm. you know, it's very rarely fun the moment. It's really fun as you see things develop. It's really fun as your, your argument or your chapter takes shape, but it's a, there's a, there's a kind of, there's kind of a spiritual pain to it too. And mm. so, um, my experience has been either you're called to suffer that pain or you're not. And, um, if you are called, you have to, you have to serve that and you, you have to kind of lock yourself away and do it. And so I'm somebody who tries to, I, I, I have a, a little bit of a feeling of, I wish I was a, a, a old monk. Um, I really like being married and having kids, mind you, but, um, and, and I like TV a lot. So that would be hard to be a monk <laughs> in a medieval period. But, um, I do like the idea of doing the same thing over and over again and locking myself in my little monastic cell in my basement and writing away for, for four hours every day. And so, um, yeah, it's just a, it, you have to put yourself in jail is the way I, I, I tell friends and tell others about it. So that book, is it Peterson who wrote the book, The War of Art? Oh, I think oh. that's, you, you described it. You described it pretty well. Is the, is the resistance real? Oh right? yeah. Yep. And how do you overcome? Do you just, you just do it? 
you just set a schedule and you just stick with it? Is is that how pastors can perhaps approach writing out their sermons? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I really do think everyone's different. My wife is a, a really far better writer than me, and uh, she has a really beautiful book called uh, that that you can find uh, uh, that is escaping me. Right? The title of it is escaping me right now, which is an awful, awful thing that it's escaping me. But <laughs> I don't feel uh, so bad now. Yeah, right. <laughs> she. Uh, uh, the deepest belonging—that's what it's called. Gosh, that was almost uh, a real bad faux pas. Saved by the bell, right? Exactly. But she she's not someone who can do this, and she's a beautiful writer. She she'll go away on a retreat and write, and she has to get away. I like to be at home. I like to do the same thing all the time. If I am traveling, like traveling and speaking, I don't write when I'm in like a hotel room. Hmm. Um, I know other people that do. You have to find what works for you. But regardless, you're never going to find a way that isn't painful. And I think that's the, that's the key. You know, there is a kind of sense like working out or learning another language or playing a musical instrument that it's, that's just, there's, it's painful and there's monotony at sometimes, but it it can, it produces beauty and it forms you in a certain way too. And that's beautiful. Andy, what do you think you've, you've been writing these books on our culture? What do you think today for the typical pastor what is the greatest challenge right now, whether he or she knows it? What is actually their greatest challenge as they pastor a church in the current culture? Yeah, to me, the greatest challenge is to really remember what the heart of ministry is, what even the, the, the soul or spirit of ministry is. I think there's this deep temptation inside this kind of secular age we live in for ministry to become really uh to to be to be molded or shaped around some kind of business strategy some kind of um branded influencer that it can become all sorts of things and so we i mm. think we can lose the sense that at the core ministry really is a way of participating in the life of god and leading other people to participate in the life of god and so often we can start to think about ministry as a therapeutic task or a marketing task or a small business task and there's a dynamic obviously to the on the ground ministry um, life of ministry that is that but at its core ministry is a form of action a form of human action that i want to make the assertion that really participates in God's own action. And this is because I think at the core, God is a minister. Whoever the God of the Bible is, the God of the Bible is the one, as the theologian Robert Jensen says, who rescues Israel from Egypt and raises Jesus from the dead. So the God we know in the Bible is the God who shows up, the God who arrives, the God who acts, the God who does something in the world. And when this God arrives in the Bible, this God always arrives to bring new life out of death to cast away what is broken and make it whole. And that's an act of ministry. So at its core, God is a minister. And what I would want to remind pastors is that even though these feel like really hard times, and they are really, really hard times to be in ministry, maybe not the hardest. I think we have to have a historical long view here. And there have been harder times. You know, there have been harder times throughout the 2000 years of the church's history. But these are pretty hard times, especially in the light of the 20th century and so forth. These are, you know, these are pretty hard times. And that gives us a temptation to think about ministry as something other than participating in the life of God. And I want to remind pastors that ministry, um, the giving and receiving of God's presence, the being with people through the dark night of the soul, the, the proclaiming God's hope in the midst of loss, that that is the, maybe the, the, the most powerful human action there is in the world. 
I know it feels like the politician or the lawyer or the celebrity or the athlete is a more powerful way of being in the world. But I want us to recover, at least amongst ourselves, that the minister in ministry itself is the most profound and powerful form of human action in the world. It's power. It's in his backwardness. It's power is in like, like, uh, like the Corinthians letters, it's in its kind of foolishness, but it is the most powerful form of human action because it's the only form of action that participates in death for the sake of life that can really be present in a reality of true death where life breaks free from it. And political action can't necessarily do that. And and uh, the action of celebrity and the athlete can't do that. The lawyer can't do that, but the minister does. And so for you to walk with someone through their last days before they die of cancer or to give people hope in the midst of long battles with depression, um, to, to live with people and to participate and befriend people um, in a way that testifies to a God who enters into death and brings life out of it is the deepest and most profound reality we have in the world. And I want us to remember that, the nobility of that, the power of that, and uh, to take to take hope and faith in that. Now, if you had a thousand pastors in the room, and it's the beginning of the new church year, the school year, and you had to speak to them about their social media <laughs> manipulation and their social media usage— yeah. And maybe yeah. some of them, they've got a new promotion and they, they pin some of their hopes on, hey, we're yeah. going to grow using social media. What would you tell them about social media? This isn't necessarily in your book, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Churches and the crisis of decline. But Andy, what would you say to pastors about social media? You've got teenagers. Yeah. You use it. Well, flippantly. And this will lead to some eye rolls on, on uh, of your listeners. But flippantly, I would say, take it, put it in the garbage can, let's burn it. I mean, I do wish that we could find, uh, you know, the. I, I'm, I'm trying not to be too contrary here, but I do wish we could find the time machine and, and go back in time like the Terminator movies and destroy um, the technology or the people <laughs> or the ideas who could ever create these social media sites. Oh my, so yeah. we can't do that. That, that uh, screenplay is being written. The actuality of that's not happening. Um, so just like, you know, other forms of technology, there are obviously some good things that come out of this. But I think I would tell people moving into this year, first of all, don't put too much hope in it. You know, like, don't think like, okay, if we could just get the right ad agency who could give us the best social media plan, um, then, then we would see our membership grow by, you know, 15, 20%. I, I think that's a, I, I, good luck. Maybe it happens, but I, I wouldn't put too much um, stock in it. But if you were going to use it, the thing I would say to focus on is use it as a way of knitting together the stories of your community. Um, so instead yeah. of it just being a pure branding move, make it a way for the people across your church to hear, even in, in really micro ways, the narratives of people. Um, you know, use it to, to kind of tweet at each other, or Instagram story, the experiences people are having, the, the prayer requests they have, the, the, the deep ways that they're looking for God in their world. I and mean, use it as a way of reminding people to go into the world and minister to their neighbor and seek for the living God in that way. Um, more than using it as a kind of leverage for branding, I would want to use it as a, as a tool for community and, and for connection. Maybe release your young people to harvest stories um, and make, make Instagram, uh, Instagram stories of, of your people who are over 70 in the church and, and share them across the church, you know, um, 
as they prepare oh, for awesome. the school year? What what's what's the seventy five and older crowd doing, and how could they turn those into some really neat, you know, forty five second little stories that we share with our congregation that leads us, um, or with moms with single moms with little kids and who are you know quite anxious about sending their their kids off to kindergarten? How could how could we make Instagram stories and send those around and have people pray for these kids on their first day of school or or you know cancer treatments or things like that? Yeah, that's that's good. People's stories. The stories of our lives, right? I also, like you, wish that we could go back and just experience a day without connectivity. You know, what would of course we could do that if we just went out in the woods, right? right. We can still do that, but they could watch us from afar. Absolutely. So, Andy, this book, Churches and the Crisis of Decline, uh, as we wrap this up. What is the one thing that you would want to say you would you would hope somebody would take from this book? They get done reading it, they put it down, and they decide to what? I think they decide to realize what the real crisis is we face. That the crisis mm. isn't a crisis of fewer pe- fewer people, fewer money, fewer resources. The crisis is how do we help our people imagine a living God again? And in that in itself is a crisis. The fact that God is God and you are not, and you're a pastor who has to get up into the pulpit and preach the word of the living God, that's a crisis. And that should keep you up at night. You know, how do you do that? How is it God's voice and not your own voice? You know, how that's a crisis. But most pastors, I think, wake up and stare at the ceiling in anxiety about how do we get more people, not how can I faithfully proclaim the word of the living God. Well, ironically, we have enough people right now. We have enough money. And on Saturday nights, I wander the rooms in my house. And for some reason, it seems like, and I don't know if any of my people are going to hear this, but uh, good for them. Maybe they'll pray for me. It seems like just like in the last two months, I've just hit this, I don't even know what to call it. It's not really a dry spell, but I want God to be there on a Sunday morning. And I, I don't just want to go and play church. Let's just make this thing happen again. But but I, I want my people to see God, to find God. But I need to see him and find him too. And as I look, sometimes I, I read the verse and I read it again and I read it again. And I'm waiting for the lightning to strike. <laughs> you know? But uh, I'm trusting, I'm trusting that this is just one of those phases. It's one of those things but what you've said is really uh, encouraging to me because that's that's what I do want. I do want the life and the love of God in my life and in the life of our church. So, Andy, you're not that far away from me if I ever make it up that way. Uh, and you're just sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll buy you lunch and and we can chat but you you sound like uh your your family is beautiful uh, a boy you. and a girl that's my son's family he's got a boy and a girl and you're you're teaching your wife's pastoring what a what a beautiful life so god bless you as you do that and uh thanks so much for contributing to uh building up pastors yeah thanks for having me well i feel like i have a new friend with andy root and i love uh, I love his heart. Uh, he's rarely do you find somebody who is as intellectual and brilliant at, to be as down to earth as he was. In fact, that's that's been my experience. There's there's something about someone who lives in the the ivory tower of learning. Maybe because his wife is in ministry and he's got two teenage kids. I mean, teenage kids keeps us <laughs> keeps us really humble, doesn't it? 
I mean, they they let us know. They let us know what's up. I like what he said about them uh, them thinking he's kind of like the dumb as a rock <laughs> because uh, because they're teenagers. But I'm sure his children think a little more of him than that. But I I loved having Andy on, and I loved what we got to talk about getting our people to imagine the living God. I'm in Colossians chapter one. I'll be in, I think it's verses 15 through 23 this weekend. And my goodness, those are, those are transcendent. It's a transcendent passage. And I am in that exact space this weekend. If you're listening to this on Saturday, tomorrow, tomorrow, that's where I'll be. And I'll be be up pacing a little bit tonight, trying to figure out how how do how do I bring the transcendent God and the teaching of his son into the service on Sunday morning, into the services? That's going to be a challenge, but it's a challenge I think that as pastors we, we welcome, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge nonetheless. So Andrew Root, thank you so much. You can find him at andrewroot.org. Uh, He's got some great stuff there, so I encourage you to do that. Pastor, so good uh, to be with you today, and I'll be back Monday, as I am every Monday through Friday on the Coaching for Pastors podcast, and I look forward to talking to you then. 